Welcome to the Philocrosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. This in-season edition of the Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by Oxia Time a cool watch company focused on custom timepieces that commemorate life's greatest achievements. John Canaris is the founder of Oxia Time, and he was the goalie at Penn in the late 80s who led his team to the Final Four. John is best known for being the goalie that was dunked on by Gary Gate in the Air Gate in that 1988 Final Four game. Oxia makes beautiful Swiss-made self-winding watches whose design and quality match the essence of the memories they represent. Andy and I can attest to the quality. We each own a Brown University Oxia watch, and it's pretty much the nicest thing we own. One of Oxia's specialties is creating timepieces to celebrate storied team or championship victories. Check out the 2021 UVA National Championship watches or the Cornell lacrosse team watches we created last year. You should really see the University of Georgia football team national championship watches or the Deerfield Academy lacrosse team watch to commemorate their national championship in 2021. New for this season, Oxia is creating All-American watches to celebrate the student-athletes that earn this incredible achievement. They have designed unique timepieces for high school boys and girls and college men and women. If you want a custom watch to commemorate life's greatest accomplishments, check them out at oxiatime.com. That's A-X-I-A time.com. How's it going, everybody? Fired up to be back on the in-season podcast with Andy Towers, PLL head coach of the Chaos. AT, how are we doing today? I'm above average still. It was a great, great weekend overall. Uh, New Canaan High School beat Rumson Fairhaven down in Jersey on the road at Rutgers, preceding the Rutgers Penn State game. What was the score um, of that game? I think it was 11 5. Uh, New Canaan's got a really, they're, they're kind of a, they're a tough team to play. They got a two-headed monster at the face-off X that is, are just dismantling everybody, even really good guys that are going, you know, to good Division I high-level schools. These two kids, these two juniors are, are, are beating these guys up. They've got an undersized pole that plays like Steve Scaramazzino, who is just a fucking pit bull. This guy, uh, Dylan Murray, they've got – He's like um, a Donnie Gurney. He is, but he's better defensively. He, he's less of a takeaway guy and more of a pit bull, but very, very much like Donnie Gurney. Yes, Donnie was an awesome player and, and like that. Um, and uh, they got a goalie that's playing really well. His junior is committed, I think, to Army. Um, actually, I'm not, he's not committed to Army, but he's, he's very good. And they got young defense. And then their offense is, is really unselfish and they move the ball and they possess the ball. They, you know, they shoot more responsibly than most high school teams. Um, and that's kind of their, their formula. Win the faceoffs, choke the possession time down, end up with a high quality shot. And then defensively, they hold you down. Um, and so we did that and then we came back and uh, the Saturday games were all pretty much atrocious. Um you know, with the grand finale being that Maryland Hopkins game. Oh my God. I mean, it, it was just so painful to watch it. It was incredible. Well, let's talk um, about that game. Go ahead. Yeah. Give, uh, give me your two cents. Uh, my two cents are uh, Maryland is, is really like a, a super team sort of, I mean, it was interesting to listen to the color guy talk about the amount of grad students at Maryland, whether they were repeats along the way or transfers along the way or not. But I didn't realize they had as many transfers as they do. And, and listen, I'm not picking on Maryland here. You know, certainly Georgetown has a bunch of transfers. Uh, Virginia's got some transfers. Carolina's got some, Rutgers has some transfers. You know, it's just, it's just a, a characteristic of the teams these days. And clearly, uh, you know, they're having a huge impact on the quality of 
the performance. And Maryland is at the top of the list. You know, I'm not sure anybody does a better job than John Tillman at identifying which guys are going to um, add positives and be net positives in a big way to his team than, than Tills does. And you're seeing it on the field. You know, is it going to be enough for them to, to run the table? You know, it's, it's hard to not watch that performance on Saturday night, Jamie, and look at that team and say, how the hell is anybody going to beat this Maryland team? But I think that Georgetown has the personnel to do it. And, I, and I'm not sure that the best performance from Princeton or Yale or a few other teams isn't capable, aren't capable of beating Maryland, you know, in a one game scenario. You know, but I think Maryland playing anybody in the country 10 times is probably going to beat them eight times no matter who they are. But it's not a two out of three or more type scenario in the playoffs for Division One college across. And so there are no guarantees that even though Maryland is, is played at an unbelievably high level, that they're going to be able to run the whole table and get it done through the playoffs. Yeah, it's tough to – I mean, when was, when was the last time – was it 2006 Virginia? The last time that a team yeah. was defeated. Um, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, were, they were the uh, they were just a juggernaut that year. I mean, they like literally like I th- I actually think my Denver team might have had their closest game, losing 13 to seven. Yeah, which is absurd. Yeah, um, but I I think that I think that clearly this Maryland team is as complete as we've seen, and uh, you know. Heavy favorites to win the national championship. Heavy favorites, but I'll tell you what, um, it's uh, when it gets into that one game scenario and all of a sudden, um, you know, look, look at them last year. I thought they could have, they, 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 they were a favorite to win. I, I was picking them to win last year and they just didn't shoot. Right. And um, so you just never know. I do, I do agree about the one thing about Georgetown is I think they play, they play legit defense and they have an incredible goalie and they got shorties and they can win faceoffs. So I feel that's, like um, that's it. Listen, I, I think the key to beating this Maryland team is the same way that McCain high school has been successful this year, which is you got to win faceoffs. You got to possess the ball so that they don't have a huge advantage of time of possession that should create some offensive anxiety for them, the way that them winning faceoffs and possessing the ball uh, has created anxiety for the teams that they've played over the course of the season. Um, I just don't see a team beating Maryland unless they are winning at least 45% of the faceoffs. And realistically, if you really want to beat them, I think you got to win about 60%. But James Riley and their faceoff group are capable of doing that. You know, is the Princeton group capable of that? They might be, you know, is, is Yale's group capable of that? They might be, um, you know, but I, I think that you don't have a prayer against Maryland if you aren't at least 45% at the X. All right. So I got the um, NCAA faceoff stats up on my screen here. AT um, St. It goes, um, St. Joe's, Lehigh, Maryland, Michigan, Virginia, Georgetown uh, at six. So Maryland at three, Georgetown at six, then Villanova, Vermont, Massachusetts, Ohio State at 10, Syracuse at 11, then Boston, Marquette, Army, Denver, Michigan, Stony Brook, Duke, Penn at 20. Is that the first Ivy League team in, in the faceoffs? How, how, how much do you think these stats are, are, are a, a big enough sample size to sort of tell you where you're going to fit in? And of course, does it even matter because everything's matchup by matchup? Yeah, I, I think that everything is matchup by matchup. Listen, obviously, these guys that are at the top of the leaderboard and winning percentage and facing off are tremendous players. I do think that um, with the domination that these guys have against specific opponents, it kind of takes their winning percentage and throws it a little bit out of whack. Yeah. You know, I think that the reality is I, I think Petey LaSala has a tougher time or, you know, James Riley, Luke Weirman, I, I feel like they have a tougher time 
putting up a really high, obnoxiously high winning percentage than perhaps Zach Cole at St. Joe's or Sisselberger at Lehigh, um, you know, have simply because of the quality of their opponents, generally speaking, week to week, right? You, you play a softer schedule, uh, you're just, you're going to have a, a higher winning percentage. You just are. And that's not taking anything away from Cole or Sisselberger. Um, you know, they're, they're two of the best, if not the two best in the country. I do think, though, that winning percentage is a direct reflection of the quality of your schedule. And if you're not playing a top-rated guy each week and you have a tendency, you know, you, you play maybe four or five of those guys and your other seven or eight opponents are guys that you rinse to the tune of 80%, certainly your overall winning percentage is going to be diluted in a favorable way, um, you know, and that way. Uh, and so, you know, again, I, I look at this and I just see a team like Rutgers who's had a great season, but they don't have a top-rated guy, you know. And so what happens to that team that's a tremendous offensive team? They've got arguably the best goalie in the country in Kirst. I think their defense plays pretty well together, but if they're playing too much defense, that could be the end of Rutgers when the tournament starts. Yeah. That's just it. You just got to, it's, it's a possession game. You got to control the ball. You got to take smart shots. And you got to, like you said, you got to get to 45%. I mean, you don't have to win the faceoff battle, but you can't get killed. You can't get killed. You've got to eliminate it as a distinct advantage, particularly when you're playing against the more dangerous offensive teams. Well, let's take a look at um, save percentage. Since we're on the topic of some stats. Yeah. So we've got, I haven't seen this kid, Brett Dobson. He uh, sounds like he's, you know, wears a cape. <laughs> sounds like a Dylan Ward type. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so yeah. he's at 66, but I'll, I'm going to list it off real quick. So you got Dobson and then uh, McElroy at Georgetown and then Will Mark at LIU and then Monmouth and then uh, Ryan Connell, Vermont. Sienna and then Eric Peters at Princeton. Then you got Wagner and then um, Notre Dame's got a heck of a goalie. Enderman, Luke Milliken at, at uh, Jacksonville. Uh, he's a, he was a uh, buddies with Colin at Carolina. He's a Carolina yeah. transfer. Uh, yeah. Great kid. And then, um, and then Penn, Michigan, West Point, Duke, Mikey Adler at 14, Colin Kirst at Rutgers, then Air Force, Yale, Paquette, um, 18, Teddy Dolan, Binghamton, Boston, Colgate. Pretty interesting stats here. Uh, Logan McNaney comes in at 24. Um, how do you look at these stats and what, what do they mean to you? So similar to the faceoff as far as like what kind of uh, shots you're seeing, right? Yeah, I, listen, I think it's uh, very similar to faceoff. You know, the quality of the opponent, obviously you play against better players and better teams. They are going to provide shots to the goalies that are harder to save. It's just that simple. Yep. And so when I look at this, I, I really say, okay, you know, out of these guys that are at the top of the list, like if you're asking me who I think the top three goalies in the country are, yep. I'm going to say, I think McElroy is one. I'm going to say uh, that I think Kirst is two and, you know, three. I mean, look, hard to now say Terry O based on how he's played in the last three weeks, but his total body of work for the season, which is obviously what you have to take in consideration. Uh, you know, you probably have to look at the Princeton guy, although he let up 20 goals versus Penn. He let up 19 goals this past weekend versus Harvard. Eric Peters has been an incredible, he's had an incredible season, but he's yeah. also had a couple of games where he hasn't been great. You know, who's been consistently the best over the course of the season to me, it's Owen McElroy. Um, he's he is the one that has played the toughest competition, and statistically uh, is is at the top or towards the top. If uh, you know, but but again, you can go through it. There's a lot of really good goalies in here, but I just have a tough time standing behind the body of work of goalies that don't play a really tough schedule because 
it's just not the same. You're not comparing apples to apples, you know, playing the, uh, you know, a team that, that is in the top 20 versus a team that's in the bottom 20. There's no comparison in terms of the amount of quality shots that you've seen. And that's why, um, you know, I take the position on it that I do. All right, let's um let's switch gears and uh, start talking about some games. Did you watch the Notre Dame Carolina game Thursday night? I watched the whole thing. Yep. So um, thoughts. The thoughts are, I just, I feel like Carolina's beaten down. You know, I, I feel like they don't have any bad losses, right? In terms of losing to a bad opponent, they got blown out by Ohio State, and that you know was was a. Uh, uh, a bad loss in the fact that they got beat by 12 goals, but not a bad loss in respect to Ohio state, not being a great team. They are Ohio state's one of the best 20 teams in the country. You know, there are other four losses, Virginia twice, Notre Dame once Duke once, and they got Duke left, you know, and, and so they don't have any bad losses. They just seem offensively like, like they don't know what they want, you know, and I know that they've made some changes and they put Tillman down at attack and, they, you know, put the freshman, I think, Dewey Egan in there to play and they, you know, move some of the attackmen up, Nikki Solomon. But I just, I just feel like they're so Chris Gray dependent. And I feel like, unfortunately, that lack of sort of balance has made them pretty predictable. And it seems like they've been able uh, to be stopped on the offensive end for the most part over the course of the last four weeks or so. And so as much as I root for Joe Bresci and the heels, I just think they're in a really tough spot here down the stretch of the season. And it appeared like once Notre Dame hit its rhythm, that Carolina just sort of uh, saw the writing on the wall and, and, and Notre Dame got more and more confident as the game went on. And Notre Dame is, you know, they're from a talent perspective, they're our team that could be in the final four. They really could be, you know, I don't think their body of work, over the course of the season has them ranked in the top, you know, five. Um, but it's a team that if they can win faceoffs, they're a team that can score goals. We know that they can defend. They've got a great goalie, as you referenced. And this is a team that, you know, is not a team that people want to see in the national tournament, even though their season from a record standpoint with four losses to Georgetown, Maryland, Ohio State, and Virginia – uh, you know, would suggest, but this is a team I think that's getting stronger as the season goes on, but they still got to get past Syracuse at Syracuse and Syracuse is going to come to that game, even though they've had a disappointing year after getting beaten 22 to six or whatever they got beat, you know, Syracuse is going to be, um, you know, looking for revenge here, if nothing else, just to save face. And then they've got Duke one more time. So I, I think that I, I, I was disappointed because I root for Carolina but I wasn't surprised that Notre Dame took care of business in the fashion that they did. You know, Notre Dame is so athletic, man. Like I, I, I was at the uh, Georgetown at Notre Dame game in February, and I was just blown away by their ability on ground balls. Even though Georgetown really won the faceoff battle pretty, pretty convincingly, any 50-50 ground ball was coming up Notre Dame and it was, and, and they are explosive and they can make saves. And obviously defensively, you know, they've been sound for, for years, uh, pre Jerry Byrne with Jerry Byrne and post Jerry Byrne, they're going to Kevin, Kevin Corrigan prioritizes defense and they play great defense. So I agree with you. Um, I think it's going to be tough to win the last two games just because, you know, even though Syracuse is having a down year, they're still putting up goals and they can win faceoffs too. Um, and plus, they it was such a drubbing last time. You know that Syracuse is going to be coming to play. 100%. I got a lot of interest in this guy, Brett Kennedy, playing for Syracuse. I just love uh, the way he has continued to compete over the course of the season. Uh, even though they've had a disappointing season from a record standpoint, they've been in a lot of games. They've lost a lot of close games. And, uh, you know, I don't have a doubt in my mind that Syracuse is going to take a major bounce back next year, assuming that Petro stays for them. Uh, you know, they got a great recruiting class coming in and, and uh, 
you know, but this Brett Kennedy has been a real bright spot and I would not mind seeing him in a chaos uniform this summer yeah. and beyond. So we'll see. He's tough, isn't he? Tough as nails, that kid. Tough as nails. He, he did a great job on Colin Schellenberger. He's done a great job on the ACC attackmen um, all season long. And, and he's done it without a lot of support, in my opinion. Now, the goaltending has not been good up there this season. Um, you know, and they play a really tough schedule. And, and he has been a consistent bright spot throughout the season. And with us losing Johnny Serdic to Korea for the summer, uh, this is a kid that we think could potentially come in and compete to start if we're able to get him in the draft. So that's a slight peek behind the curtain in terms of what chaos is thinking. Love it. Hey, what's, um, what do you got? Uh, did you watch this, this, the Virginia Syracuse game at all? Uh, I did. I watched parts of it for sure. Thoughts. You know, that my thoughts are uh, I undersold Brendan Curry a few weeks back when I was a little down on the season that he was having. Uh, he has abruptly shoved that right in my ass over the last two, two weeks and I think that he is really a guy that on the PLL front is going to be awesome. He's so fast. He shoots it so well. And he's so smooth. Um, Such a good passer, he's, too. He's a great passer. You just feel a little bit sorry for Curry and for Dordovic because you just feel like those guys are pieces that you can win a national championship with. But they just don't have the supporting cast. Hilts going down in preseason killed this team yeah. and, you know, lack of goaltending again. I, I think yeah. those are the two things that have really been an Achilles heel for the Syracuse team. But those two players, Curry and Dordovic uh, have really impressed me. Um, and, and I'll be the first one to say that, that Brendan Curry, I, I think he's probably a first team all American midfielder. I don't think the midfield play in general is that strong this year relative to past years. You know, um, but I think that Brendan Curry is the attack as deep as ever. It is. It is. Uh, Matt Moore. It's pretty crazy to have, you know, Matt Moore and Connor Schellenberger on a team where if Connor, you know, has a pedestrian two and one, Matt Moore can just come through with three and four. I mean, it, it's unbelievable to have two guys. And Virginia's had two guys like that, whether it was uh, Matt Moore and Kraus or whether it's Matt Moore and Schellenberger, but to have two guys that are, that are arguably your best matchups that don't ever get short sticks is. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and like Jeff Connor played an unbelievable game, right? Uh, you know, you've, you obviously have the freshman shots, uh, but Xander Dixon, we've talked about on this podcast before he, he has played like one of the best, um, you know, four to five midfielders in the country, in my opinion, this year, he's had a great season for them. And he really gives them, uh, you know, a third option to go with Moore and Schellenberger. Um, you know, and, and honestly, like, I don't think anybody does as good a job at identifying where their team can get better than Lars and his staff do. I mean, it's just like, I was talking to Lars last week and I said the same thing to him, like, yeah, they, they've had a little bit of a lull here. You know, after the first five weeks, we all said, okay, this is a two-team race between Maryland and Virginia, and then Maryland destroys Virginia, and we're like, okay, it's a one-team race, and maybe Virginia's with these, you know, these other four or five teams, um, you know, just a notch behind Maryland, and then they lose to Richmond, and, and they lose to Duke in an embarrassing fashion. But the last team I worry about in May – is a Lars Tiffany coached Virginia team. Like they just do a great job of getting their team back on track. And I, 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 you know, and again, that's why I feel like, like if I'm, if I'm calling out a final four right now, assuming the brackets work out. So it allows it. I think the best teams out there as of today would be Maryland, um, Georgetown, without a doubt. Those are the top two for me. I think Virginia is a team that you have to look at. Um, and then who is it? You know, like Yale did not look great against Albany yesterday. Leo Johnson looked great and they found a way to win. But I didn't think Yale looked great on the defensive end. Like I worry about their balance a little bit. And after Brown threw 20 up on them two weeks ago, them giving up 13 to Albany, they, they, they've kind of let up more goals than they maybe should 
if you're talking about the best teams in the country and uh, you know, but I, I'm not sure Yale's my fourth team anymore. I guess that's kind of my point. I thought they were playing that way myself, but I agree with you defensively, but who is playing great defense? Well, you know, it's, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a yeah. lot of teams that are scoring and then it comes down to winning face. Georgetown's playing great defense. Yeah. Seems like Maryland's playing pretty great defense. Right. Um, you know, Brown outscores you. Yeah, Notre Dame, and I agree, Notre Dame's always had great defense. I don't think they're quite as strong post-Cherry Burns as they have been before, but I think they're better offensively. They are. Um, Although know, I think it's um, – think What's that? I think it has something to do with the fact that they, 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 they lost uh, – was it Cohen graduated last year? No, Arden Cohen's still there. He's still there. Who's the guy who graduated last year? Guilty. 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 Yeah, yeah. So like they had a two-headed monster with two great guys. And I think that that's really, I think from a personnel perspective, they're not as good as they've been. Yeah. And they also aren't winning face-offs, even though the kids done a good job, they're not winning face-offs at the rate that they were yeah. when, you know, Charlie Leonard was there and they, you know, they, they really had a kind of a run where they had that box checked and they, they, they competed there rarely got dominated there. By the way, Charlie um, had another year. What? Charlie had another year. Yeah. Well, you know, now he's on the Redwoods. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that I think Princeton tries to outscore you. Yale tries to outscore you. Jacksonville tries to outscore you. Notre yeah. Dame, I think, tries to outscore you. Brown tries to outscore you. Virginia tries to outscore you. Rucker decides to out tries to outscore you. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State tries to outscore you. You know, it's a really good point. I, I don't think there's any true defensive first teams other than Maryland Georgetown when you're looking at the best teams in the country would you agree with that I would agree with that um no doubt that, that that's what's been going on with the Ivy League all along um you know 20 you know 1916 20 to 20 you know 21 20 um, yeah. it's just constantly incredibly high scoring games I mean they've got the offense and if you can win faceoffs you can you can sort of live that way especially if you can make saves um but yeah, it's tough. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I, I was watching the this morning, I was watching the Princeton-Harvard game. Uh, did, did you watch that game? I watched some of it, yeah. So a pretty interesting game. I mean, for one thing, uh, Princeton gave up so much transition, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the count was on that, and I, I haven't looked at all, all of the stats. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you right now, they gave up. They had to have given up seven or eight transition goals. Um, yeah, I, which made it hard for Eric Peters to be able to statistically have a good game. A hundred percent, but but Mullen saw more shots than Peters, right? Mullen Mullen had eighteen saves on thirty four shots, you know, and only yeah, left sixteen yeah, goals, right? Yeah. Peters gave up nineteen goals, only had eleven saves. Like, that's a that, to me, that's the that's the game right there. Yeah, well, let's take a look at the stats. Uh, are you looking at those stats right now? I am. I am. Face-offs were split right down the middle. Um, obviously, it was a very high-scoring game, but one goalie, uh, you know, had more saves than goals allowed, and the other one yeah, not. Well, and, I'm not disagreeing yeah. with that stat. Um, basically, what I was going to say was, I, I think if there's a team that plays great defense in the Ivy League, it, 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 it's Harvard. I think Harvard's defense looked good against a really good Princeton offense. I thought they – played good defense and they made saves. Um, and I feel like Princeton, well, if they didn't give up endless transition, maybe they could have played better defense and had more saves, but they just gave up a lot of transition. Yeah. You know what? I don't disagree with you on that, on, on that front. I, I do. I, I would say that I think Harvard is, is arguably the best defensive team out there. I'll tell you who else isn't a bad defensive team. And that's Dartmouth relative to, you know, I know their record sucks, but their combination of a great goaltender and a great faceoff guy, like, Harvard's goalie played great this weekend versus Princeton. Yep. Their faceoff guys were 50-50. Yeah. You know, they eliminated faceoffs as a reason why they would lose to Princeton. With that said, Harvard's faceoff guys are not great. They're 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 functional. Uh, you know, a week before they got blown out. That guy Zusi from Penn went 18 for 22 against Harvard at the X. Yep. And that along with Patrick Birkinshaw's 20 plus saves were the reason that Penn was able to come back in the second half and beat this Harvard team. But I think 
just in terms of comparing team defenses, I think I agree with you. I, I think that Harvard's team defense is the best in the league. I totally agree. I think they're packed in. They're playing pretty tough one-on-one defense. They're making saves. They're helping. It's starting to look like, you know, the Notre Dame defenses of old. It is. Way that he's it is. Put out. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's go back to another game here. Um, let's talk about Brown Cornell. Yeah. You watched that game? I did. I watched part of it. Yes. Um, you know, listen. It, for as Brown fans, it couldn't have started any better for us. I mean, before I knew it, it was four zip and then it was six zip and then it was six, three and then six, four. And then Brown, you know, was able to ride that sort of uh, five goal cushion all the way through to the win. And, you know, Mike Daly, like just, I'm so pumped for him and his staff. It, they, it's incredible to go on a three game winning streak versus Penn, Yale, and Cornell playing at Penn, playing Yale at home, but then playing at Cornell. Going to Penn and going to Cornell are two brutal trips, and they're tough places to play. The officiating feels like it's a little different at Penn and upstate is just so far. And it's just, it's just, you get off the bus and you feel like you're down two or three goals. Um, but Mike Daly has gotten these guys to play so hard and with such passion. And I, I'm just really happy for him. Number one, Um, you know, but, but also these guys have gone out and just earned their respect. And I really am excited about the idea that Brown is going to be playing in the NCAA tournament and they gotta, they gotta take care of business here. They got Bryant on Tuesday, which is a, a scary team because it's always a huge deal to Bryant. And it seems like for Brown to play them towards the end of their Ivy season, it's a little bit of a, a look past game, no matter what happens. And they can say Rhode Island, Rhode Island, Rhode Island cup, blah, 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 bunch of bullshit, right? It's way more important to Bryant than it is to Brown. And that's the reality of it. And then they got a Dartmouth team that again, we said from a record standpoint, hasn't been great this year, but the team is way better than they've ever been before. This guy, Mitchell Myers, he's the best face-off guy in the league. And their goalie, Hanks, big body and has been very, very good in his time up in Hanover. And, and their offense is better. You know, they, they still haven't won an Ivy League game in seven years or whatever it's been, but they're scary every single week. And Brown cannot take that team lightly. Uh, they've got to come out and they've got to play with an intense sense of urgency and play for four quarters against a team that could upset them without a doubt if they're not careful. How about Terriel? 24 saves in that game. Yeah, I mean, like that's that is just off. It's, it's incredible. And it puts a lot of time, a lot of pressure on us for the Oxia Time Player of the Week it does. award. And he just got this. And is it political of me? to go Brown three players three weeks in a row there. We'll find out towards the end of the podcast, but he deserves it. I mean, he just, you told me, you know, you told us three, four weeks ago when we started this podcast again, just how hard it is to score them. And he's been the key. I mean, they've been getting it done offensively, but this guy has locked up uh, the defensive end and is helping them get out in transition, which is obviously one of the three responsibilities that goalies have, but he's saving all the shots that he needs to, as well as some more and, uh, and for getting us out in transition and uh, clearly is playing at an all American level without a doubt, inarguably a first team, all Ivy level. I think that people would have said two weeks ago that this was Eric Peters award to lose as the unanimous yeah. all Ivy goalie. But I think with the way that Terrio has played against Penn Yale and Cornell the last three weeks, he's absolutely made it a neck and neck race with Peters to see who the first team all Ivy goalie is. I mean, I, I, you would think that Penn Yale and Cornell would have to be voting for Terrio instead of Peters, but we'll see. Brown plays fast. Brown plays loose. Um, I, they had 20 turnovers in that game. 
that's part of playing fast and playing loose is you're going to turn the ball over. The upside to playing fast and playing loose is that um, you minimize the amount of your opponent's coaching that plays a role in the way that the game plays out. Uh, you know, the more unsettled it is, the more up and down it is, the more the players only the result one way or the other. And I think that, you know, part of what's been Mike Daly's key to success and, and, and getting this team to be hitting on all cylinders is that these players feel empowered to make mistakes. Totally. And if players feel like they can make mistakes and are encouraged to play loose and play hard. It's just a lot more fun to play in that environment. And I think that we're seeing a team like Notre Dame. This is a team that's very, very dangerous. I mean, them beating Penn, people are like, wow, what a great comeback. And what a, what an upset thinking that. And I was top of the list. I thought that they would get beat by Yale, um, you know, and, and, and you wait for that team to let up, but instead they pound Yale in a way that was way worse than the way that they pounded Penn. Yeah. And, you know, then they went up to Cornell. They jump all over them. This is a dangerous team, Jamie. I mean, there's oh, just no question about it. You know, I, I think the thing is that the way that Mike Daly allows the guys to make mistakes allows them to grow and play their best. And yet they're going to have to minimize those turnovers in order to win, you know, to keep winning. Bottom line, you're not going to be, you know, if, especially if you're not winning all the faceoffs. Like I, I feel like sometimes I remember when Lars uh, in 2016 had, had a team for the ages they could kind of do whatever they wanted that year, although they did take care of the ball, but they could win every single faceoff, and they had the best goalie. And so, um, you know, I, I certainly think having Terry all out gives them some, some latitude for making some mistakes. Um, but the faceoff battle here was 14-10 Cornell. What are your thoughts on, on you know, this is because Cornell also got beaten up at faceoff X by Army. Um, wh what are your thoughts on the faceoffs in the Ivy League? Well, you know, I think that, Dartmouth. yeah, the Dartmouth guys proved to be the best so far. I mean, he has dominated all of these guys. He really has. I've been pleasantly surprised with the way the Brown guy has done this year. I was thinking that they would be at a disadvantage because I knew that Yale had three guys that were really good. I knew Petrakis up at Cornell was good. Uh, you know, Penn, I know, has good wing guys. I don't love Penn at the X. I just don't. Um you know, and I, and I didn't know too much about the Brown guy, but he's he's done an incredible job of either dominating or eliminating it as a reason why they wouldn't be successful. And even though Petrakis had better numbers when the game was said and done, to me, Brown winning 13 to eight, winning by five goals, we're not even looking that deep into the fine print to see that disadvantage, um, you know, and and and. You just sort of look at faceoffs and goaltending as the two sort of wild cards in these games. And if you're great at one, but not great at the other, they offset each other. Um, you know, but if you're, if you're great in one and, and, and the other one is a wash, which is the way this game was, well, that speaks to Cornell's ability only to score eight goals. And, and, and that's due to Terry Oat and the way that he played. And again, we, we, we get past a proven, opponent in Cornell uh, he, he did well enough to make sure that wasn't the reason why Cornell stayed in the game and, uh, and and I go into this weekend their game versus Dartmouth and I'm thinking okay this could be scary if the guy Mitchell Myers controls 70 percent and he's capable of doing it because he's done it against the other best guys in the league um, but every face-off matchup is unique and, and just because A beats B and B beats C, it doesn't mean A is going to beat C. And everything is unique to how those guys feel that day and who's on the front of the whistle and who is not. And you can go 80% one week and play the same guy the next week and lose 80%. It's just the way that it is. But I just think from, uh, you know, the, from, a, from a passion perspective, a piece of play perspective, Brown's confidence is at a season high yeah. And Dartmouth is, 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 you know, coming to Providence with nothing to gain except to save face. And Brown is playing for the Ivy league title in their mind. How about the way Devin McLean shoots the ball? Huh? Man. I just love it. You know, we talked about it last week. 
uh, you know, we talked about him not getting enough credit. And sure enough, he goes in this game and what does he go? Four and or four and one, something like that. Yeah. Um, he just gets it done. And, and you know what he does? He makes the right play with consistency, uh, regardless of what that is. And he shoots at a very high percentage. He shot 57% on Saturday versus Cornell. He goes four and one on seven shots. That's a great player. You know, he doesn't need 13 shots to score four goals. He scores four goals on seven shots. Those are the guys that help you win league championships and go on and compete for bigger and better things. Um, And I'm so happy for the success that he's been able to have with Darian Cook going out and, and probably not coming back. It doesn't sound like he's coming back. You know, there's an added focus, not only on him, but also on Antonelli, also on Augman, also on, you know, some of these other players that are consistently in the scorebook uh, after these games. And again, it, it's a reflection on the offensive scheme and the system that they're running yeah. when you lose a great player and you're able to plug another guy in and the offense doesn't miss a beat. And that is, uh, you know, a reason to take your hat off to these coaches. Yeah. I love the way they play. They dodge. Yeah. I love the way they, they play the too. They, they make one more pass. They're physical. They'll redodge when they should. They move it when they should. And honestly, defensively, it's part of the reason why Terry Al's playing well is that they've got guys that are playing pretty damn good defense, both shorties and poles. I mean, and, and schematically, they yeah. look like they've got a good plan. Oh, you yeah. know, they really do. Like Cornell's offense is very good and they held them to eight goals, right? CJ Kirst was one and up. CJ Kirst, like we've talked yeah, about, they, is they locked him been one of the best players. He's been one of the best offensive players in the country. John Piatelli, without a doubt, I frankly think he's a first team all Ivy attackman. Um, you know, Michael Long, another stud. Like, they've got a lot of really good players. This is a really good offensive team. But, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are definitely banged up because it's not the same team no. that we saw play in March. No doubt. Well, so start with that Brown. It's probably Brown Spring weekend, AT. Uh-oh. That's Let's a- hope the players aren't going out Friday and Thursday. That can really move the needle, Jamie. It was always it was always better for the team when uh, when it was at Dartmouth on Brown Street weekend. Yeah, it was. But listen, it didn't deter the bum and <laughs> others. You know, you look hard enough, you can, you can always look under enough rocks. You can hear music somewhere. You can you can yeah. always um, still have a nightcap at Cornell. I think that's a great way to talk about. The bomb, and uh, and some of us that enjoyed a nightcap after after a pre practice on the road, uh, or a you know, pre game practice on the road, the bum would love a nightcap. Well, I remember one time we were playing at Cornell, and Dom thought it was a good idea to um, have us leave on Thursday, and we spent the night in Syracuse, and so we all went out to forty fours and. I it was nineteen eighty eight, and I it was before we were before Tommy's senior year. Um, and, uh, John's Alberti comes up and he points to his fingers and he's like, I'm going to have two rings guaranteed. The gates are insane. I'm getting two rings. Not even a question. It was, uh, he wasn't wrong. RIPZ, by the way. RIPZ. Um, all right. Hey, did you watch the Ohio State Michigan game? I did. I watched the whole thing. So, um, what what were your thoughts? I didn't watch that game. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. And where do you think Michigan sort of add is, I mean, they've been, they, they obviously uh, went seven and zero, and now they're finishing the season, regular season seven and seven. Are they better than that? Those last seven games, or what are they? What are they lacking? I think they are better. Uh, I'm not positive defensively. They're they're great. Um, I do really love their faceoff group. Uh, I love Nick Rowlett. I love Justin Weefeld. A lot of people feel like Inacio is the best Fogo in the senior class that's graduating. I assume that everybody would have him as the top face-off guy available in the PLL draft coming up. Um, but I, I thought that they eliminated Michigan eliminated. Is that Frank? Ohio State's advantage there, which was critically, that's Frank Towers with a C. Um, you know, I, I'm not positive. The Michigan goalie is great. You know, he was 44% yesterday. Let's up 14 goals. Uh, he only has 11 saves. You know, they lose by two goals. Um, I, I, I think Michigan's very good on the offensive end. 
Um, they look like they're playing connected. They look like they're playing well. And it looks like, you know, for them to, if they can win face-offs, they can beat teams. But if they aren't successful at the face-off X, uh, I just don't love them defensively. And I think this game is going to be played again, um, you know, in the Big Ten tournament. And uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Michigan, if anything, you know, they would much rather win in the Big Ten tournament than in the regular season. And I'm not so sure that this two-goal loss to Ohio State doesn't set up a two-goal win for Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. So let's take a look at the calendar. So you already talked about uh, Brown Bryant, and there's another uh, tough midweek game for Penn um, as they play at St. Joe's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, two really critical games for these guys. And I, I'm not sure what it does for either of them. Um, I mean, I think a, a loss for either of these teams would, 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 be, would be troubling for both uh, their RPIs, their chances, and for the Ivy League in general. Well, I, I think this game is great for St. Joe's. I don't think it's great for Penn. Yeah. Um, not too dissimilar to the way Bryant gets ready for Brown. I think St. Joe's gets ready for Penn that same way. Yep. Um, and clearly with Zach Cole facing off for St. Joe's, I see them having a distinct advantage at the X. Taylor Ray is a great coach. St. Joe's gets the most out of their team. This is a very, very dangerous game for UPenn. Because a loss to St. Joe's, even if they make the Ivy tournament, right? If if Princeton beats Cornell, I'm pretty confident that that sends Penn to the Ivy tournament as a four seed, and they would play Princeton in that situation. If they lose to Princeton, even though they make the Ivy League tournament and they lose to St. Joe's, I think they lose the at-large berth that I think everybody has them penciled in for. I, I'm not positive, though, that I understand exactly why everybody has pen penciled in. I mean, they beat Duke, but Duke is having a down year for Duke. Penn State they beat, but Penn State is awful this year. But because, they're, because their RPI is five. That's why. Yeah, I mean, I guess every game that they've played, the team for the most part is good, minus the season that Penn State has had. But Penn State has obviously played a tough schedule. And the Ivy League is so strong that maybe that's what is helping them here. But like if they beat Albany and they beat St. Joe's and they make the Ivy tournament and lose in the first round, do they have an at-large berth with like their wins being Harvard, Cornell that's lost some luster. Cornell wouldn't even be in the Ivy League tournament anymore. So that's really no longer a win. Duke is their there. RPI is nine. It's probably if they keep losing, it's, it's going to slip, but but it's still going to be uh, a top 20 win, most likely. Yeah. I mean, but but look at Cornell, right? Look at Cornell's wins. They've got a win over Lehigh, a win over Ohio State, a win over Yale, a win over Harvard. Like their body of work to me, and even though they lost to Penn head to head, their body of work is better than Penn's. But, you know, they're not being discussed in the same way. It's just, I feel like it's just assumed that Penn is going to the tournament. And I, I do think that they are capable of going on a run. I, I do. But Penn hasn't played great, uh, you know, and, and they've got a really dangerous game versus St. Joe's. I think they'll. I think they'll win. You know, if I if I had to bet, I would bet on UPenn to beat St. Joe's. But St. Joe's can ride the success of Zach Cole and win that game. They can. Yes. And if they generate high quality shots and they uh, possess the ball and really accentuate the advantage that they're going to have at the faceoff X, you know, this is a Penn team that showed that they can be impatient on offense. You know, Sam Hanley can't just chuck the ball around if they're losing 75% of the faceoffs and still expect the Quakers to win. They, they got to really, you know, they got to make good, smart decisions and make sure that they're not getting too anxious on the offensive end if they're losing faceoffs and St. Joe's holds the ball. So looking ahead to next week, looking at the games, Loyola, Lehigh. We didn't really talk about the Army-Navy game, by the way. Huge win for uh, 
Navy, huge loss for Army. Um, and Army plays Boston U in the uh, in the season finale for the Patriot League. Yeah, I, you know, uh, the Patriot League is going to be a one team, uh, one bid team, in my opinion. Obviously, whoever wins is going to get the AQ. And with Army losing that game to Navy. Um, you know, Navy's not in danger of, of doing too much. I think they're going to make the Patriot League tournament, I believe. Um, but I think what that did is it really weakened the league where Army, you could have seen them get to the Patriot League tournament, say, and lose to either BU or Lehigh. And we still would be looking at that or even Loyola potentially, even Bucknell potentially, and still feel like, Army would go, but this loot lost to Navy, I think, knocks Army out of any consideration for an at-large um, if they don't win the Patriot League tournament. What do you think about that? Uh, I think you're right. I think it's too bad because I think they're, they, they, you know, when they're playing well, they're they're definitely a, a good enough team to be in there. Um, but that's a tough. That's just a tough matchup, Army Navy, every single year. Yeah, I'm as it, tough it, as it gets. It, it is, you know, the, I think that I think the team that has really cemented themselves is BU and you got to hand it to them um, after back to back losses to Yale and Princeton. It was a tough week. They were able to come back and win at Loyola where they had never won before to beat, you know, Lehigh at Lehigh with Connor Calvaron stepping up and beating Sisselberger at the X as obviously a key advantage in a one goal win for BU. Now they get Army at home and uh, and BU knows the tournament is going through Boston. I mean, that's where the Patriot League tournament is going to be. Yep. And uh, and and they've earned that. And I'm not so sure for BU's um, quest to win the Patriot League tournament. I'm not so sure it isn't in their best interest to to lose this game. And they're never going to go. They're going to try to win every game like every team always does. But I'm not so sure that if BU loses this game, that that's not a great thing for them as it relates to them trying to win the Patriot League tournament. They only have three losses, all to the Ivy League teams. You know, Um, otherwise they've won every single game. And and, uh, they've, they've earned the right to host this tournament. And to beat Army and then go win two games in the Patriot League tournament, I just, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. Game of the week's going to be um, Yale at Harvard, though. What a game that's going to be. Uh, it is, because the loser goes home. That's, that's the interesting part. So what happens with this, Jimmy? If Princeton beats Cornell. Yep. Right? And Princeton as Harvard beats Yale. Cornell goes three and three. Cornell goes ahead of Yale. On head to head? Yeah, they beat them head to head. Unless it's a three way tie, though. If it's a three way tie, which it would be at three and three, Penn at three and three, who beat Cornell. Cornell at three and three, who beat Yale. Yale at three and three, who beat Penn. you know, that's tiebreaker. Wasn't there a coin flip for on a three-way tie back in 2006 when, when Dartmouth got the bid to the SEC? Yeah, yeah, it, it was, but they've they've switched that up a little bit. I was reading through the criteria last week. And what is what, what is a criteria? Well, the criteria is head to head first. Yeah. So in that situation, all three teams beat each other once. So that doesn't determine anything. Then it goes to um, which team beat the highest seated team so then you look at princeton and you would say okay yale beat princeton penn did not cornell did not so yale goes because princeton is the highest highest remaining the highest highest team outside of those that are in the tiebreaker you know that that lost to one of the teams being so it would be yale and yale beat princeton but princeton will have beaten cornell that's our assumption and they already beat penn so in that situation, so Harvard wins and Princeton wins. Yale goes as long as Brown wins. Yes. Princeton would win the league. Right. Brown would be two or Harvard would be two. Harvard would be four and two with a win. Harvard has a head to head over Brown. Yep. And uh, and actually Harvard 
would be one having beaten Princeton and Brown. Oh, yeah. They would all be at four and two. Harvard <laughs> would be the one. Harvard would, would get the one seed. That's nuts. Harvard's either out of it or they're the one seed. Assuming Brown beats Cornell, uh, Brown beats Dartmouth, and, uh, and Princeton beats Cornell. Crazy balance in the league. This but year. if Harvard wins in his four and two and Cornell wins in his four and two, and Brown wins his four and two, then we've got the same round robins there at the top at four and two. This is crazy. It really is. It's also crazy that there's six Ivy teams in the top 11 of the RPI. Is it possible that six Ivy teams could go to the NCAA tournament? I mean, I suppose it's possible. Are there enough AQ spots? If, if uh, you know, I, I think Carolina would have to beat Duke. Duke would have to beat Notre Dame. And somehow the committee would have to feel like the ACC is a, is a one-team league. Uh, I think that, like, Penn State or Michigan would have to beat Ohio State or Rutgers so that the Big Ten becomes a one-team league. The Patriot League, we know, is a one-team league. The CAA is a one-team league. Um, you know, I think there's only one team coming out of the SOCON, and that's whoever wins the SOCON tournament. And then, obviously, the NEC and, and the A-Sun, all those, you know, would only have one team. Georgetown wins the Big East, one team. I don't think it's inconceivable. I think it's not it's likely. Possible. Hey, but do you follow um, uh, that guy Patrick McEwen on Lax Film Room? He's I know the guy really, we're talking about. I don't follow him. Though. He's he's uh, very smart when it comes down to numbers and stuff. And he, he posted something on this topic in which he was like, all right, if Georgetown got upset in their tournament and um, Ohio State won, wins the Big Ten, you could have, he was theorizing that, it would the, that it's possible that the ACC is a zero or one team bid conference. <laughs> that, that's sick, isn't it? It is. Um, wow. I'm that's not good enough for the numbers to do that. In, in Imagine a zero bid league. <laughs> oh it's not, probably not going to happen. And, uh, but, but it's crazy. All right, so we got to the OxyTime uh, player of the year. And I, I think you already alluded to it. And, um, and so, uh, uh, Oxia time is, uh, run by, is a, is a company run by John Canaris, former goalie at Penn. Great dude. Um, still plays pretty good plays for Brown state, actually. Uh, Penn guy and is best known for being dunked on by Gary Gate. Me and, me and AT both have, uh, um, Oxia watches and, um, I, I, I would never watch wear mine because it's too nice. I, I don't want to lose it. I'd break it. <laughs> I'd break it, <laughs> but I would, I would wear it to, uh, the, to a, to a Brown reunion. Yeah, but then you have to take it off when you went back to your hotel to take a shower before you went out. Otherwise, you'd break it. I'd, I'd, I'd lose it. Yeah. Um, anyways, Oxia Time, National Player of the Week. Who's it going to, AT? Well, listen, I, it's, it's a two-man race for me. Um, there's a lot of people that I could go with. Um, my runner-up is going to be Leo Johnson at four and five versus Albany yesterday. Played a great game at nine points in a, a four-goal win. But with the Yale-Albany game not being uh, quite as important as the Brown-Cornell game and seeing that I went to Brown and I can really do whatever I want and I can be super political, I'm going back-to-back to back uh, – Brown players, and I am going with Connor Terriel. 24 saves in a must-win game at Cornell for Brown. Um, and yeah, I'm a little political, and uh, but I don't care because it's our podcast. I can do whatever I want. So I'm going with Connor Terriel. 24 saves and a win over Cornell. Oxytime player of the week for me, Andy. Well, since I can do whatever I want to do, there's nobody else I want to give it to. I love that kid. Have you seen the, the have you seen um, the, uh, are you giving it to him too? I'm giving it to him too. Wow. Unanimous. 
Unanimous. Unanimous. He's just got big time. Great dude. He's the people's goalie. He's the people's goalie. Have you seen Larkin Kemp's tweets on that? On the yeah. on him on Ariel playing attack and like roofing the ball a couple times. I saw it. Yeah, it was impressive. I liked how I liked how Larkin Kemp had a picture of a brick wall and said, "Oh, ran into Connor Terrio. Got my picture with him today." <laughs> <laughs> so good. Few, few match the passion of Larkin Kemp. This uh, Larkin has for Brown, and he's Larkin Kemp is also really likes the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and that's what I really like about him because. My mother's side of the family were all from Nebraska, where my dad was from Long Island, and my mom was from Nebraska. Um, I really appreciate other people that like Nebraska football, and Larkin Kemp does. Awesome. All right, well, AT, it was another fun week. Uh, have a good one, and we'll see you next Monday. All right, we'll check in. See you, buddy. Bye.